This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to Business Lens Broadcast on WKXL 1039 FM, 1450 AM, and now 101.9 in Manchester. We want to welcome all of our new Manchester listeners. And I, Matt Robeson, your host, really want to welcome back Chris Hill. We haven't seen you for a while. You were on an extended summer vacation, which I'm very envious about, but well-earned. Chris Hill is the host of Motley Fool Money, the number one stock investing radio program in America, and also something that can be heard on WKXL. So all of our WKXL listeners are going to get a double dose of awesomeness, the fantastic analysis, and rapier-like wit of Chris Hill. Chris, welcome back. Thanks for (laughs) over-promising. Always under-promise and over-deliver, except here on Business Lens when you're introducing Chris Hill. That is what I live by. Speaking of over-promising, Facebook. Oh, we're not allowed to call it that anymore. They are undergoing a rebranding that overpromises as much as I just did with Chris Hill. They want to be called Meta, which, I mean, for basketball fans, reminds me of, weren't we all supposed to call Ron Artest Meta World Peace for a while? Are people talking about this? That kind of rebranding doesn't go very well. So now we're supposed to call Facebook Meta because I guess if you have a giant world-shaking mess that you want to clean up, the first thing you should do is change your name. Chris Hill analyst and an expert on all things having to do with business, stocks, investing, the economy. What is up with this? Is this just a case of trying to rebrand, re-spin yourself, or is there some other purpose to this renaming and rebranding? There are a couple of different thoughts I have about this. And, and the first is, you know, let's just, let's be generous. Let's give Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg the benefit of the doubt. Um, If you look at this just from a structural standpoint, uh, Facebook as a business is more than just Facebook. Um, They have Instagram, they have WhatsApp, they have other ambitions. They are looking to be a bigger business with more divisions. So, uh, and one of them is very much in the metaverse. Uh, For anyone who's ever had the chance to try on whether it's Oculus, which is the goggles that Facebook produces, or other, there are other businesses that produce this type of headgear. Um, I've had the chance to do this before. It is pretty mind-blowing to put on goggles like this, um, both from just a fun standpoint, you know, going putting on these goggles, playing games, uh, but also from an educational standpoint. I mean, I, I truly do believe that in the future, there are schools that are going to have these for students so that instead of just reading a book or watching a video about uh, European history or American history, all the kids can just put on their goggles and they can be in colonial history uh, or, you know, or European history and sort of walking around, experiencing, looking around for themselves. So there are some good applications here. 
um, now that I've given Facebook the benefit of the doubt, yes, this is absolutely um, uh, a situation where they are trying to get away from the name Facebook. The name Facebook is toxic. One of the few things that members of both major political parties agree on is uh, about how they feel about social media. They are not big fans of it. So uh, I think that uh, it absolutely goes on the list of reasons why Facebook is changing their name to meta platforms uh, for investors out there, for anyone who's listening, who's a shareholder of Facebook. Uh, you may also be aware of the fact that the ticker symbol is going to change from FB uh, on December 1st, it is going to change to MVRS. So uh, we'll see where this goes. This, this is absolutely in line with their business ambitions. I will point out, however, because some people have made the parallel to a few years back when Google changed their name to Alphabet. Uh, Google did that uh, at a time when they were restructuring their company. They also wanted to provide Wall Street analysts with more insight into how the different business units were being run. And they did that. It, will be, it remains to be seen if Facebook is gonna provide that type of clarity uh, for uh, Wall Street analysts. Um, it, it's also interesting to see if, if they have success in building out the metaverse um, and making it a profitable business because part of why Google did what it did was because they said, look, we wanna create other Googles. Google is an advertising business that prints money. We want other business units to do that as well. So far, they haven't really done that. And it's been years since they changed their name to Alphabet. So uh, anyone who's looking at Facebook and hoping that in 2022, they're going to be producing gobs of money uh, from their metaverse ambitions, um, they're, they're sorely mistaken. It's going to take a while before they can build up that business. Well, the main thing I heard in there, and it was hard for me to get past it, is that Facebook wants to be bigger and have more divisions. I thought being gigantic and sowing division is exactly what Facebook was always all about. Let me just ask, is there a sense in all of this that now that, as you say, Republicans and Democrats on Capitol Hill seem to be united in looking at Facebook's size, Facebook's antitrust status, perhaps the legal protection that Facebook enjoys as a non-publisher, meaning you can't sue them for the stuff that appears on their platform. And now members of Congress are looking at that again. So as you say, they have an advertising business that prints money. Is part of the idea here to enforce for themselves and for their investors, the idea that, yeah, they have an advertising business that prints money, but that business model may be coming under fire and you've got to diversify if you're taking on that amount of regulatory risk. Absolutely. Uh, diversifying how they make money is a crucial part of this. Um, and to go back to the Oculus headwear, um, uh, headgear that people um, uh, can test out and that Facebook is selling, um, they are making a big push into the hardware space because right now they don't control the hardware. The, at the core of Facebook's huge and growing fight with Apple is the fact that Apple controls the iPhone. And so they are able to set up privacy screens that enable people to sort of opt out of Facebook's tracking if they want that. And so Facebook wants to control its own destiny. And one way they can do that is by producing the hardware themselves. So recently, I was sitting in a hot tub with Scotty Pippen and Janine Garofalo listening to Mambo Number no. 5. I, of course, mean 
by recently, back in the 90s. Those are things that were the hotness going on at the time. Another thing that was the hotness going on at the time was that Microsoft was the biggest company on earth. Well, guess what? Scotty Pippen, get ready for your NBA comeback. Janine Garofalo, get ready to headline movie screens worldwide because once again, Microsoft is the biggest company in the world by market capitalization. Chris Hill, what is going on with this? What does it mean? It's amazing to see what Facebook has done, particularly over the past five years. Let's go back to 1999 when Microsoft's market cap was about just under $600 billion. Uh, By the way, the second biggest company at the time was General Electric. Um, So anyone who thinks that uh, big companies only get bigger, uh, look at GE and and what's happened in the ensuing 22 years. Yes, I remember researching that on AOL. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Yeah, because you had moved off of Prodigy, right? You started on Prodigy and then you moved to AOL? Well, I had to Alta Vista it. And so, um, yeah, right. So... Microsoft, 600, let's just round up, say they were worth $600 billion back in 1999. It was also very much under the scrutiny of federal regulators because um, there were no smartphones, there was no social media, um, and everything was controlled through desktops. And Microsoft, with you know being the dominant software company that they were at the time, um, they were essentially controlling people's access to the internet in a way. Um, and so that's why... Microsoft, there was talk that it was the company was going to be broken up, that sort of thing. Now, 2021, Microsoft is worth $2.5 trillion. So it is four times bigger than it was in 1999. And yet, it is not nearly under the same threat from the federal regulators as other major tech companies are. And it's certainly not under the same level of threat that it was back in 1999. Uh, because of all of the different ways people can access the internet, you don't, you know, you don't need to use uh, Microsoft Office on your smartphone, that sort of thing. And uh, you know, credit to the company, credit to the leadership, Satya Nadella, the the CEO, since uh, I believe it's 2014. Um, it's amazing. And for all the talk, you know, we on Motley Fool Money uh, next month, we're going to be doing our year in review show. And one of the big themes for the year is absolutely going to be the ways in which so many companies have struggled with the global supply chain. Microsoft really hasn't. And it, it's, uh, it's amazing because they're a software company. If you don't really have to produce hardware in the same way that Apple does, that's how Microsoft recently passed Apple to become the largest company in the world by market cap. It's because Apple has been struggling, struggling meaning you know they only make $80 billion in a, in a quarter as opposed to 90 or $100 billion, but they have been struggling because they're dealing with components and global supply chain being choked off. Obviously, back in the 90s, the image of Microsoft was Bill Gates drinking blood and toasting the concept of evil. And the idea that Microsoft was sort of the fuddy-duddy, this is your father's PC, if your father even had a PC. I mean, in the early aughts, Apple even ran an ad campaign basically saying, I'm a Mac, I'm a PC. PCs are stuck in the mud. You know, it's a business model that was real cute back in the day, but has nothing to do with where we are today in technology. And since that time, it has gotten so surpassed by 
smartphone technology and all kinds of mobile tech. And you were just talking about social media. And now social media has even moved on past its own dominant business model to get into hardware again and virtual reality. How on earth has Microsoft done this? What, what's, what's the story of them still being not just relevant, but dominant? Part of it is the way that they have um, methodically built their enterprise business over the years, the way that they work with businesses. Um, and as they have added more features over time, I mean, uh, let's give Microsoft some credit. Um, at least once a year, if not more often than once a year, Apple will hold an event and they will come out and say, here are the incremental upgrades we've made to our devices. And sometimes the, the upgrades are more than incremental, but a lot of times they're just incremental. Microsoft doesn't really do that. They don't have a big event once or twice a year to say, here are the upgrades we've made to Microsoft Office, but they are constantly looking to improve what they're doing. Um, uh, to make their business customers as happy as possible because they want to keep their business customers. Um, so rolling out innovations like Microsoft Teams, which is essentially their answer to Slack. Um, and in Microsoft's case, developing Microsoft Teams and making it free to any of their business customers who use Microsoft Office because um, one, they can afford to make it free. And two, they want to steal some of Slack's market share. So I think they've they've done it in sort of all the right ways. They've continued to innovate. It's not to say everything they do is perfect. Um, it's not to say they don't overpay for acquisitions now and then. They do, but they can afford to because they are also printing money. They're just not doing it with advertising. Well, regular listeners to this show will know that you and I share sort of a common interest, a sort of, I wouldn't call it obsession, but we have a conversational topic that we love to return to as a source of endless fascination, and that is the battle for our eyeballs and our entertainment dollar and the movie entertainment television show complex. It's just a fascinating source of talking about a business that's been printing money. It's just a fascinating source of an intersection of culture, politics, technology, and of course, business stocks investing in the economy. So, Give us a status update, Chris Hill. Last when we left our heroes, the various tech media titans were sort of duking it out to try and figure out what was the right business model. You had Disney and Apple sort of subsidizing at a low cost their at-home streaming services. You had other big companies, Paramount, piling on, trying to get in, in on the act. Where are we? And how are things working out in terms of the model of do we do things in theaters? Do we do things at home? Do we do them as a hybrid? What's going on? It's interesting to me that uh, the movie industry is still trying to figure this part out. Because um, I would have guessed that 18 months into this pandemic, they would have made some decisions in terms of what, you know, what they're trying to do. And I'm, I'm talking about the, mainly the movie producers, the theater owners, they're, they're doing everything they can to get people in the theaters. Um, but, you know, Disney, for all the success they've had, and they've had a lot of success, next week uh, is going to be the two-year anniversary of the Disney Plus streaming service. Uh, they've gotten far more subscribers than anyone, uh, including themselves, were predicting that they would have at this point. So a, a lot of credit to them for that. Um, it, but they are still trying to figure out how to balance 
the way that the Disney Corporation makes money from putting movies in the theater versus trying to use um, the levers of attractive movies as a way to get people to sign up for the Disney Plus streaming service. Because make no mistake, there is no substitute for the money that uh, movie producers make at the box office, but uh, there's something so attractive about that recurring revenue. Um, we were just talking about Microsoft. I mean, that's what's great about Microsoft's business, the recurring revenue that they have with their businesses for their software products. In the case of entertainment, it's the recurring revenue of people saying, yes, sign me up for a one-year subscription to Netflix or Peacock or Disney+. Plus." Um, I, I'm a Disney shareholder. I, I have Netflix in my home. I have Disney Plus in my home. I'm still sort of baffled that the times that Disney has decided, okay, we're going to make this movie available on the Disney Plus streaming service, but we're going to charge people money for it. It'll be a one-time fee. And the thing that baffles me is it's the same fee regardless of the movie. They've gone with this idea of we're going to charge people $30 for the right to watch this, you know, this movie that we would have released in theaters, but we're going to make it available. You got to pay $30 to see it. The fact that they're charging money is not the baffling part to me the i'm confused by the fact that it's the same regardless of the movie because a wonderful animated movie like maya and the last dragon and it was a wonderful animated movie that costs a lot less to make than a big budget live action movie like mulan so the fact that mulan costs 30 dollars and an animated movie also costs 30 dollars i'm surprised that disney hasn't figured out that if they're going to do this maybe they should think about different pricing as you look at this competition heating up with all these players jumping in, and it's sort of a creative ferment going on. They're trying different things. There was obviously the famous dual release of Wonder Woman 1984 and the new Dune movie, trying this, this market strategy of let's do both. Let's do the streaming. Let's do the home. You alluded a moment ago to maybe there's a different pricing model that you could apply are, as you look at the different companies, and you say you, you're, you're a Disney shareholder, but as you look at the different strategies, creative approaches that different companies are trying, is there anything that strikes you as, this is really interesting. This is something that I'm glad they're trying it and testing it out because maybe, maybe this is the direction things will go. Maybe it's just something we have to prove won't work. What's, what's grabbing your eye out there? I, I think what continues to interest me and impress me is the ways in which um, movies and television shows as we think of them in 2021 are hits. They are hugely popular. And on paper, they don't appear to look like hits. All you need to do is look at Netflix and uh, a show like Squid Game um, or, um, or even The Queen's Gambit, which is a wonderful limited series about chess. Nobody's going to look at that on paper and say, oh, this is going to be the hot show that everyone is going to be talking about. Um, even a show like Ted Lasso for Apple TV, I think that has far surpassed what anyone thought it was going to do. Um, so I, it, I, it makes me feel good just as someone who is a fan of creative output. I like seeing good movies. I like seeing good television shows. And so uh, the fact that um, there are people out there saying, no, 
here are the things, the ingredients for a hit show or a hit movie. And if you stray from them, you're not going to have a hit on your hands. Those people are proven wrong time and time again with shows like Queen's Gambit and Ted Lasso. Actually, I got to credit you. You, Chris Hill, were the, were the one who turned me on to Ted Lasso. You're the reason that we ended up getting Apple TV to get a hold of that. So Apple thanks you. I thank you. And not only that, I started living Ted Lasso. I actually, I'm a basketball guy. I know nothing about soccer. I became a soccer coach <laughs> this year after watching Ted Lasso. And, uh, you know, the scary thing is it turns out my wife is trying to sabotage the team the whole time. But I digress. <laughs> Look, speaking of changing business models, I understand. And this is, again, the first time I'm hearing it. And I'm hearing it from Chris Hill. I understand that the robot apocalypse is actually upon us. Like, I, I, I thought that this was the kind of thing that only happened in documentaries like Terminator. But actually, it's happening in real life in, of all places, a Buffalo Wild Wings. Chris Hill, what do we read into this seriously? Uh, the rise in the machines is real and it is coming, but the good news is the robots are also going to cook for us. Uh, so Buffalo Wild Wings- Not just Wings, cook us. Yeah, not just cook, cook us, us. They will cook for us. To serve man. As exactly. Um, Buffalo Wild Wings, uh, this is true. They are testing a robot cook. They have a testing center in Georgia and they are planning to, uh, and this is a robot cook that makes chicken wings. And if you've ever been to a Buffalo Wild Wings, they do a good job with chicken wings. So um, they are planning to roll this out, test it in an actual restaurant sometime in 2022. And look, you and I have talked before, Matt, about the challenges that whether it's mom and pop restaurants where we live or national restaurants all across America, they are all having trouble staffing. And uh, this is, I think, you know, all kidding aside, a way for Buffalo Wild Wings to look at um, relieving a pain point that they may have in some of their kitchens. Um, as far as I can see, the only downside to this uh, in terms of Buffalo Wild Wings execution so far is that they have, for some reason, named this robot cook Wingy. Yeah, like that's, wingy, that's bad. Wing, that's just an uninspired name. No, it's the snakes on a plane of naming things. It's like, it's a little too on the nose. It's a little too literal. It's like, come on, people, you know, yeah. give me, give me slither at 30,000 or something like, you know, do, do, do something, just, just do something. I mean, Andrew Yang became sort of known on the Democratic presidential campaign trail for saying, no, really, the robots are coming for all of your jobs. But it is interesting that recently all the talk has been not just about supply chain problems, but also the great resignation, the fact that people are leaving their jobs, they don't seem to want to go back to the same types of jobs that they were in before the pandemic. And we're seeing this nowhere more than in the restaurant and hospitality, hospitality industry, where one in 14 jobs is now vacant, just now wide open. And of course, what that is leading to is at least one of the sources of inflation that we're seeing right now, as companies have to bid themselves up to try and get workers. So is this, do you see this wingy, as it were, as a potential force for different industries, especially in hospitality and restaurants, to try to get a handle on this and say, all right, look, if you don't want the jobs that are on offer, there really might be technological solutions that mean I don't have to, I don't have to overpay 
for people to do these jobs. Um, I think that's right. And I also think that, um, you know, a trend you and I have talked about before, um, uh, ghost kitchens, um, which are, you know, as more and more places are doing delivery, um, there are more restaurants that basically have ghost kitchens. They have facilities set up where they're cooking the food, but it's not a restaurant that you can go, The you know, the food that they are cooking is just for delivery. Um, and I think that that's, you know, that's another place where I think we're going to see more ghost kitchens popping up as there are some people who are saying, I'm interested in doing this. I don't want to interact with the general public as much as I used to. And so I think whether it's, you know, uh, more uh, robots in the kitchen in actual restaurants or more ghost kitchens, I think both those things um, are going to be worth watching. And and again, the, the unfortunate name aside, I do think Buffalo Wild Wings could be onto something here. Well, and then all we need is driverless cars for delivery and drone delivery, and we can take humans entirely out of the supply chain. And then, of course, none of us will be able to get jobs. It's a really fascinating Rosu scenario that you can only hear here on Business <laughs> Lens with Chris Hill, but also on Motley Fool Money, which you can hear on WKXL and on podcast. And of course, you can get Chris Hill here with me on Business Lens. Look, I know I overpromised a little bit at the beginning of the show, but I think we delivered. Chris Hill, thanks again. My pleasure, man. Thanks. 